Hey guys, and welcome to episode 45 of Underrated, a show where we talk about great films that just don't get enough love. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I'm here with my co-host and fellow hotshot daredevil, James Hamrick. What's up, man? Nothing much. Any death-defying stunts recently? Um, I took a final with four hours of sleep. That'll do. All right, and uh, today we are joined by uh, some dude who just invited himself on. It's uh, Tony Fagan. Hey, man, it's uh, great to have you on. Thanks. It's good to be here. All right. Um, you just want to introduce yourself. Uh, anything interesting you might be up to online? Um, I recently got more active on my letterboxed. <laughs> but beyond that, um, not too much. All right. Um, so, James, today is your pick. What are we looking at this week? We are looking at the film Hot Rod, which has been a favorite of mine for quite some time. And it gets better on rewatch if anyone's listening and has watched it for the first time. So I know I've known a lot of people who watch this and kind of hate it the first time. And it does, for some people, take some time to like, or take a few rewatches before you can just accept the weird movie it is and laugh at all of its absurdity. All right, before we get to the main review, I'd like to ask you guys to please uh, take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, just a few words and five stars would be very helpful. And also, uh, like us on Facebook. So before we get into the main topic, have either of you seen any cool movies this week that you want to mention? Uh, let's start with you, Tony. Um, I rewatched Hot Rod like an hour ago. Um, but besides that, it's hard to watch new movies with an eight-month-old. Mo- so. Right, so what about you, James? So I... I decided that I'm going to start trying to go through the AFI's top 100 movie list. And I had noticed that The African Queen was on Netflix. So um, I think I'm only like 26 movies currently out of the 100. Although 27 now after African Queen. Um, And I really enjoyed it. I I think my modern moviegoer sensibilities kind of took me out of it for a couple of parts there you know a lot of the moments where they're on the boat and they're going through some sort of storm it's very clearly a toy with these mannequins that aren't making <laughs> the least bit of motion and so i'm sure at the moment it was insane to watch all of this seemingly real stuff happen but i, I tried to make sure that i was watching it with the mindset of the people who would watch it initially as opposed to just saying oh it it's it looks so fake i'm i'm done because obviously the the focus of the movie are the two main characters and I'd already known that Katherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart were fantastic actors but I've never seen them play characters like this and they are just giving some of the most like honest performances and it it seems like the most physically taxing performances even though they're kind of on a boat the whole time but as this movie goes on they they portray with just an insane amount of excellence this feeling of tiredness and of just exhaustion and they look like they are about to pass out by the end of it and the the emotional arcs both characters go on the the whole movie is all just all about these two people and what they think of each other initially and then obviously where they are at the end and just taking it on that just watching it for the sole purpose of like examining these two characters it was 
a phenomenal movie, and I would definitely recommend it to anybody who enjoys movies. Uh, and then, so I had actually seen this last week, and I forgot to mention it, but I had seen David Lowry's A Ghost Story. Um, and this, this was a movie that I saw, and then, like many of these kind of really weird out there films, I was like, I'm definitely going to need some time to actually think about this and think about where I come down on it. And usually the more I like, I'll read reviews uh, and listen to interviews and I'll end up appreciating what the director's trying to do more and more. But with this one, I, I honestly think I might come down just a tad bit negative on it. I think none of the themes felt very personal. You know, in a movie that was just about this journey, like these two characters and this one person going on this journey of watching life after him and the effects of that he may have had or may not have had and all these things, it's just, for a movie that was all about that, it felt very unpersonal. Um, and I just, it never moved me. Um, and then most part, for the most part, it felt like this this movie kind of existed just for Lowry to entertain his own really weird little directing habits of holding on to shots for far too long. And no one will com like all of the all of the interviews you can send me, all of the long papers you can send me. Nothing will convince me that holding the camera on a person eating pie for five solid minutes with no dialogue <laughs> is a genius piece of filmmaking. Um you snob you. <laughs> it's the snobs telling me I'm wrong. They're the snobs. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, it was still worth seeing just because of how unique and different it is. And then, lastly, I, I'm almost up to date. I saw Fast 6 and 7. And 6 is probably actually my favorite of the series. Um... Because it was like just the right balance of being over the top and fun and funny. And then, I, so we, we've actually already talked about Furious 7 just yes, through Messenger. And I don't hate it. I really don't hate it. I just think with, with 5 and 6, which is where it essentially, not soft rebooted, but kind of found its new footing... They had their over-the-top moments, you know. They jump across this freeway with a tank. Like, they have their, this is, the, this is this movie's moment. Seven was a series of those moments. So it got to a point to where they just didn't mean anything anymore. Like, you can... Five and six pretended that there was a limit as to where things could go. And that physics had a grip. Even if, <laughs> even if loose, it still had a grip on the story. But with Seven, there were no stakes because you have this one character in this one car who needs to get to this other car. Oh, there's tension. Wait, no, there's not. Because they're literally willing to have her dive out of one window and into the other window while sp spinning out in sync. Like, anytime there's even a hint of tension, they come up with some absurd over-the-top physics-defying stunt to get rid of it. Oh, there's a drone. What are we going to do? Oh, an ambulance is going to crash into it. Of course, there's never any sort of state like. And you the have rock. just named oh. why it is awesome. 
No, because I, I just got to the point where I don't care anymore. Like the series the, is so the, monumentally stupid. It it you can't if if any attempt to have actual stakes just backfires. But I think that there was a a hint of stakes with five and six, but in this one it's well, let's throw the rock out of a five story building just so he can come back in the climax after breaking off his cast and using his arm as if nothing had happened. And like this moment or this movie had like twelve tank moments from Fast Six, where it's like, let's the the cars are jumping from the airplane. Now they're jumping from the buildings. Now they're jumping into drones. Now they're jumping out of windows into other windows. Yeah. Now they're like, it's every, it's it. You get to the point of diminishing returns where it's this. You've already established that the sky's the limit and then some. Like there's. I can't be impressed when you're already saying anything, literally anything is possible. Don't be surprised when, you know, this tank, this car drives through a tank and there's not a scratch. (laughs) I don't know. And everything that I can't be, it's like saying this superhero is the best because his power is being able to touch something and it blows up. It's like, that's not a great, you just, you've established that there's no, interesting scenario because it's all going to be solved in some ridiculous over the top i don't know (sighs) furious seven is amazing and if you didn't cry at the ending you have absolutely no soul the ending was very well done i will say that that was that was a surprisingly thoughtful scene in a fast in the fast and furious franchise tony are you familiar with the fast and furious franchise at all I went onto IMDb and realized I haven't seen seven or eight while y'all are talking. Mm. So I need to catch up. Well, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the previous ones? I mean, there were some ups and downs. Um, it's, I think I've probably seen each of them about once, so I can't say too much. I yeah, think I, I saw six last, and it, it was pretty good for the most part. Yeah, like I said, I think six is definitely my favorite. Um, it was just the right amount of ridiculousness with just the amount of gravity and then you know even five being a close second with the the bank heist it all felt loosely grounded in our reality uh if the rock didn't kill a drone with an ambulance it can't be the best okay all right (laughs) so uh i rewatched men in black three actually men in black and men in black three um and i think my feelings on them are basically identical as the first time i saw them several years ago I think Man in Black is okay. It's a really fun concept. And the, and the leads, you know, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are fantastic. Their chemistry is is just amazing. Overall, as the, just looking at the entire film, I just find it kind of bland and poorly paced. Um, it has, you know, it has iconic scenes that really stand out with just a lot of mess stuff in between for me. Um, it's not definitely not bad. It just doesn't, it doesn't do a lot for me. Uh, the third one, however... Is easily my favorite of the two. There are only two. Um, it's it's. I think it's a lot smarter and tighter as a whole, and it just it holds together better. And I think the pace is a lot stronger. Um, and I think the t- it uses time travel in a really creative and fun way with actually some surprising emotional uh, depth that I wasn't expecting. Um, it's not. It's like spectacular and it has some issues, but I, I do find the third one just a very enjoyable, goofy sci-fi film. I guess I, I, I probably in the minority there. I think 
I know I know the first one's very beloved. It's just it for me it, it doesn't feel like the series really got a stride down until the third one. Yeah, I think the first and third are kind of on equal terms. I I love kind of almost everything about both of them. Um even like the nineties ridiculousness of Men in Black One. And to me, you even acknowledge it, you know, the leads are kind of what make the movie. And the first one is all about establishing that kind of dynamic. And so there it's it's funny to watch this this relationship build and play out with all of this ridiculousness alien stuff happening in the background like this this alien birth going on and these arguments between these two people that some sometimes sound like real things like these are really like actual characters real people who are learning to work with each other but it's all taking place in this absurd backdrop of alien police and um i i do a lot of people, I think, just refuse to say the third is equal because nobody, everybody has that mindset that the first is always best. But I do think the argument could probably be made that the third is just a stronger movie. And it, it definitely has more of an emotional weight than the first. And you're right, there's only two because Men in Black 2 is one of the worst things in the entire world. Oh, so bad. Um. And I also saw David Fincher's The Game. I've been kind of trying to catch up on his films. Um, and I really want to love this movie just because it's so beautifully put together. Um, you know, David Fincher is just a master. So every shot is gorgeous. You know, just the pacing, the tension is great. But it is so, so stupid. I mean, like, really stupid. Um, it's, it's it, it you know it, it's trying to be you know this smart, tense, and very serious thriller, but then when, once we finally get to the end and you're you're getting all the revelations and what's been happening and why, it just collapses into this you know this pile of just gibberish and nonsense. Nothing holds up to any any kind of thought. Like every single element of this film just falls apart. Nothing makes sense, and which is kind of disappointing just because just because of how well made this film is as a whole um so yeah it's an enjoyable experience while it lasts but uh it just it doesn't it doesn't the ending does not uh do the film any favors whatsoever and just makes every scene when you think back on it just kind of annoying because no, nothing uh <laughs> nothing works i mean I, I, no I, I don't hate it i think I, I mean i wouldn't even be opposed to watching it again but it, I think it plays itself way too straight just for how goofy it, it kind of gets in the end. Yeah, I'm really glad that that's your thoughts because that's absolutely what I thought too, where, you know, you get to the end after this great build and this thriller, you know, thinking what's going on? Who is he? Is he in on it? What's, what is this all about? There's so many great teases and, it's one of those movies that's incredibly fun to watch in the moment. And I would say it's actually, in my opinion, not really enjoyable on rewatches because the, the, its strongest suit was trying to think of what's going to happen next. What is this all about? And whenever I hate the ending as much as I do, it's like, oh, I know what it's all about. And trust me, it's stupid. Um, 
And it's so disappointing because the only other two Fincher movies I've seen is Fight Club and Seven. And those movies both have phenomenal endings. And it it's it's one of those experiences where you think that there's no way that they're revealed, this final scene, whatever the last scene, the statement that Fincher's gonna make is going to be able to be as good as the film that preceded it. And in my opinion, they they both are. They're they're both essentially masterpieces from start to finish. He has such a, a control over every aspect. And so for this, go, starting off, it feels exactly in line with all of his other movies. And we get there, and I just think, Fincher did this? Like this, <laughs> David Fincher, in his mind, thought that this worked? Oh, man, it's, yeah definitely my least favorite of his filmography so far all right is there, so is there anything you guys want to mention before we move into the main topic yeah i was gonna interject there and say like yes i haven't watched movies lately but i have been trying to finish up uh twin peaks and that is very complex and intense if you haven't watched it no i haven't seen that what is that i've heard a lot about it but i still have no concept of what it is it's a true crime type um, mystery TV show from 1990-91. It was on for eight episodes first season. Second season was like 22 or 23. But then by the, earlier this year, they revisited it. And it's not a reboot, but it's what's happened exactly 25 years after the original series has the same actors oh, and wow. everything. Um, and basically saying like another crime has happened in the same city 25 years later that's supposedly connected. So I'm trying to finish up the original 90s series so I can watch the new one that's on Hulu now. How many seasons of the first one? Uh, the first was two. It was eight episodes and then 20-something. That's a very interesting concept. huh? It is. All right, let's begin our review of Hot Rod. Hot Rod was released in 2007. It was directed by Akiva Schaefer on a budget of $25 million, and it only grossed uh, $15 million. It stars Andy Samberg, Jorma Tacone, or Tacone, Isla Fisher, Bill Hader, Danny McBride, Ian McShane, Sissy Spakek, Will Arnett, and Chris Parnell. It was written by Pam Brady, Akiva Schaefer, Andy Samberg, and Jorma Tacone. And it was shot by Andrew Dunn, and the score was composed by Trevor Rabin. Uh, and James, I'm going to get you to read a brief plot synopsis. Okay. Self-proclaimed stuntman Rod Kimball is preparing for the jump of his life to clear 15 buses to raise money for his abusive stepfather, Frank's life-saving heart operation. All right. Um, so I'm actually, as it turns out, quite glad you asked to join us, Tony, because unfortunately, I'm not sure how much I'll have to say about this movie. Uh, uh, so I'll, I'll let y'all start first I'll let you go James just tell us why you want to bring this on because it's awesome yeah. and that's all that needs to be said <laughs> uh, this movie to me has very little care for anything that involves anything not what it is which is the weirdest <laughs> way to put it but it's if it feels like what this movie was was a playground to throw whatever ridiculous skit idea you had into it. And to me, Andy Samberg and Akiva Schaefer and Jorma Taccone, to me, saved SNL. 
And so I had already like, you know, followed them with the Lonely Island and all their skits they had done. So I already really liked them. And so for them to just bring all of their really weird and out there kinds of humor into just a melting pot of different weird scenarios was so much fun because there's literally nothing off limits and there's no idea too ridiculous to try to fit into an action, this, this narrative. Um, and I just, I think I love the whole cast. Uh, I love how confident it is in itself. There's just, I don't know. I, pre- I There's not going to be a cons section for me in this just because <laughs> I pretty much love everything about the movie. Okay. So what's your take, Tony? Um, the summer before I went into my senior year of high school, I heard about this movie and I went and saw it and I've loved it since. Um, it is probably my number one, number two comedy. And just because of, um, basically the Lonely Island guys, I've loved them since high school. And as James said, they basically saved SNL in the late 2000s and with their digital shorts and everything. And it was like, imagine all those ideas just thrown into a movie of them being stupid with Bill Hader in the mix and you couldn't ask for anything better. Okay. Well for me, I, well, first off, I'm not a huge comedy guy. So that probably explains a bit why I'm not terribly into this film. Uh, and like you know, everything y'all said, you know, it's just, you know, a collection of skits, every ridiculous idea you can think of thrown into a single film. And that's kind of what it feels like for me. Like there are moments that are utterly hysterical and I, you know, had me rolling on the floor, and then just a lot of stuff that had me sitting there going, "Okay, all right, uh, okay." And so that that was the film experience for me. You know, I just everything within McShane is beautiful and amazing, and most of the other stuff is just varying, you know, varying degrees of fine for me. So I guess you, you two are gonna have to carry most of the conversation. All right. I'm okay with that. I will talk about this yeah. movie forever. All right, so go ahead. <laughs> so I, one of the things that, I guess the main thing I want to do, because there's not, there's not going to be a, a really in-depth conversation if we're just talking about like direction in this and pacing and the, the, the way we would analyze most movies. So really this is going to be me talking about like the actual characters uh, and individual scenes and then eventually any sort of structural breakdown, and I'm just going to start quoting it. Um, but I do, I I do want to talk about the cast first, though. I love Andy Samberg in this role. I think that he's essentially just playing this movie the way he played his SNL skits. Yep. And it's it's just the right amount of like seriousness. Like this is something he cares about, with just the right amount of overacting. Just the way he's screaming all of these lines about saving his saving his stepdad just so he can kick the crap out of him. Like, every time he screams things like that, you can tell he genuinely believes it, but it's still over the top. And I, it's, it's the perfect balance of ridiculousness with pseudo-believability. Um, and I, I also just think he's a, he's a great physical actor. Like, his physical... As a physical comedian, he's always kind of doing something with his body, whether it's just like super over the top or little gestures and facial expressions. I just find him just a really comedic person in general. And then uh, just before we uh, 
move on to anybody else. Something else that I loved about him or about the character is that even when it gets to the point to where there's not really a lot he can do as a as an actor, they're more than willing to just throw a dummy on the screen and be obvious that it's a dummy. Um, so the, the blend of what he's able to do with let's just, there, there's no way anybody can do this and we're not going to use CGI, so let's throw a dummy at the screen. It's It all works together to make one of like the funniest characters ever to me. <laughs> that and I loved like the moment where his mom told him the truth about his dad. You see this character shift, but he's still almost he's still the same like stupidness while still being like overly serious about the role. Yeah, I that that was kind of something that I did have written down as well, where he's very consistent as a character. You know, he he's played a lot of different characters in SNL, and I think he's brought a lot of that into this, but he's always rod he's whether he's receiving heartbreaking news or if he's over the moon with something he's always acting the way rod would act um and i mean it's not like it's a nuanced role but i did like the fact that he always feels very consistent and in character and he's always reacting to news whether good or bad as as rod kimball character being uh blithering moron exactly (laughs) But it's a very specific kind. I don't know. Honestly, Andy Samberg was my least favorite actor in uh, this film. Who was your which, favorite? Oh, oh, Ian McShane by a long shot. But of the of the main cast, uh, probably go with Danny McBride, um, who I'm not normally a fan of. But I guess that is kind of revealing of the wasteland of interesting <laughs> I found this film to be. Um. I'll admit Danny had some of the better lines in this movie. I think my favorite my favorite scene involving them was when he uh, took out the the guy who uh, who owned the van that <laughs> uh, Rod crashed now. into. Uh, that scene was pretty awesome, and I laughed way I more than I should have. That may be the line I quote the most, or at least is in the running. Whether it's a hat or anything, he's like, "This is mine. This is totally mine." <laughs> That and then I love when he walked out of the gas station. He's like, "Hey, I found these fireworks in the bathroom. Let's light them up. See what happens." <laughs> Everything about his character—he's so mean-spirited in this movie, but it's so hilarious. I go to—I go to church every Sunday. You're gonna bring the demons out of me? <laughs> Just—he's—he always feels justified in what he does, but he's such a terrible person. But man, it just—it makes for some great. Scenes. When Dave's little sister brings a drink, she's like, "Hey, little girl." <laughs> <laughs> was it him that said, "Was it? Don't you ever tell me how to live my life?" Was that him? I forget. Yes. <laughs> Don't you ever tell me how to live my life? Another line that is oft quoted whenever I'm around. There's someone else I like. I I'm not sure if I pronounce his name right, but Jorma Horma Ticone, Jorma Ticone. However, I've always heard it uh, Jorma Ticone. Jorma Ticone. Um. I liked him a lot as this like just really lovable little brother who like, so looks awkward. up to you. It, this, it, he's almost a totally reactive character. Um, and he pretty much just receives all of the brunt of um, Danny McBride's mean-spirited humor. But I like it because he's he's playing it with this like pseudo seriousness where he he legitimately cares about rod 
but he cares about his father as well and he's like totally invested with this story and everything that's happening um but he is just kind of this this awkward little kid who's just watching everything else happen around him um i don't know i think he's he's also just i'm gonna say the same thing about every character but i find him hilarious the scene whenever rod's like upset he didn't come to the pool jump and he gets back to the house and he just has his arms wrapped around frank like he's just carrying like a little cat at his feet yeah, it's it is little moments like that where it's like all of you, not this story, all of this, it's not believable, but there are little moments like that where it's just enough to kind of buy into what's happening. Like this is a guy that loves his his stepdad, and there's an actual relationship between these two people. I mean, even though it's a series of skits, there's still these are still people who are interacting with each other in real ways sometimes. Is was it was McShane? I'm just gonna call them all by their actors' names because I don't, I don't remember any of the names from the film. Uh, was I thought Ian McShane was his real dad, the younger brother. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. It was okay. Jorma's um, character's real dad, Andy's stepdad. Yeah, yeah. I, I love their uh, little ritual every time that uh, uh, Rod goes to try and beat up his father. <laughs> the, 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 their little ritual at the bottom of the stairs. Gods kind of, of war. <laughs> May your hammer be mighty. Uh, I love stuff like that. It's it's stupid stuff like that that actually starts informing the relationship that these two characters have with each other. Like, there's a genuine... As, as ridiculous and stupid as that is, you kind of gather, like, there's a genuine closeness between this stepbrother relationship. Um, so you're able to tell the audience that while doing something that I, I find hilarious. And once again, something I say all the time. Anytime I'm about to take on any sort of task. What about you, Teddy? What's something you liked? Um, oh, the overall are from... Just, just anything. Oh, there's so many things to name. Like I said, I've been watching this movie for 10 years because apparently it was the 10-year anniversary. And one of the things I loved was whenever he comes out and starts doing the high five back and forth, back and forth. And like, you know their hands, Gabby Hurt. And he's like, and that's how it's done. But just Danny, Danny's character overall, but my favorite, I was telling my wife earlier, is with Bill Hader's character, when he calls him up and tell him he got the shrapnel in his eye, <laughs> and um, they get to the hospital, and he's, but first he's telling the whole story about how it happened, and it's just so extravagant and like crazy. But when they get to the hospital, he points to the trash can, he's like, hospital? <laughs> it's like, no, trash can. But just random moments like that in this movie you make it what it is. And then in the background, as uh, Rod's getting ready to pull away, you just see him like get into a, a fight with the <laughs> the orderlies at the hospital. Yeah, but I yeah. think my favorite overall the whole movie, the or the thing I quote the most is who do you think would win in a fight, <laughs> grilled cheese or a taco? <laughs> yes, grilled cheese in a regular fight, taco prison rules. Yes. Wow, that's pretty racist. But correct. <laughs> but, um, also, I will say, ever since I watched this movie, anytime I go to a place that requests your name, like for your food order, I started mm -hmm. to give them the name Voltron. And one time someone was asked, asked me, they're like, why do you call yourself Voltron? And I was like, maybe because it's super badass. <laughs> and they were like, wait, what? And I was like, it's from a movie. So I have to, like, explain the whole context. But it's hilarious. Just, just stay in character. Just go mm -hmm. with it. 
You don't get an explanation. You don't deserve one if you don't know what Sometimes this is Sometimes I from. don't. But one time someone was like, is that from Hot Rod? I'm like, yeah. We can be friends now. Yeah. So I guess I'll just go into what was uh, you know, unquestionably my favorite part of the entire film, which is basically every single glorious moment that uh, Ian McShane is on screen. Um, just, <laughs> just how cruel he is to Rod. But also, like, just little moments, like when uh, we first find out that he's dying, and uh, Rod and his mom are kind of having this long conversation, and in the background we just see him stroking his son's head. <laughs> he just keeps doing it for the <laughs> entire scene. <laughs> or when, uh, when at the dinner table and uh, Rod's like, nothing you can do is going to make me mad. <laughs> he just whacks him in the face with his cane. <laughs> it's just it's something about uh, that relationship and his character as a whole just works so well. You know, Not until you beat me up in a, fu- a fight, you pathetic washout. <laughs> and then just the last fight is, you know, appropriately epic for something the entire film has been leading up to. Oh yes, uh, and so as much as I, I I found this film kind of buoyant, I think that that one core through the film did really work. I think part of what makes his character so funny is just knowing it's Ian McShane, <laughs> and just seeing him in what is essentially like an hour and a half SNL film, um, and yet the the final fight is just awesome. The uh, when he first throws the throwing star. And he just looks so <laughs> proud of himself that he's brought that to a fight. Um, and I love uh, Sissy Spacek in this as well. Just this, she's maybe the most normal person there. And the, normal in that she kind of, she's not reacting to the situation like a normal person would, but she's trying to seem normal and all of this weird stuff like when they're they're fighting and breaking through fences and she's essentially shrugging it off like a boys will be boys and they're bashing each other's heads into cars and just on the grill <laughs> <laughs> this this whole movie like everybody's playing this completely different kind of character and they're reacting to the situation in different ways and just to have her be like that one person who's like yeah this is this is normal. Like I am what a normal person looks like in this world. Uh, it just really cracks me up. Uh, I kind of we we've talked a little bit about him, uh, but I I love Bill Hader and Danny McBride in this movie. I also Danny McBride is kind of off and on for me. He kind of plays the same character in every movie, so it's weird that I wouldn't love him in every movie. Varying degrees of vulgarity and violence. <laughs> Yes, and the, the kind of like southern suit, like white trash kind of person. Um, but I guess, you know, sometimes I feel like he plays that character in a way. I'm like, that that kind of person doesn't really add anything to this movie. But to me, this is this is where that kind of character shines the most. And what I love about the, the group dynamic between Rod and Kevin and Rico and Dave is that they're all so different, but they're all idiots, and they like the dynamic that the, all of them have together is just so funny. When it's all four of them interacting with each other, I'm like I'm gonna laugh until I cry most of the time, um, and I love the pool scene with where, Richardson, uh, the Asian R- guy. Oh my goodness, Richardson! <laughs> He's like, "There's no tool in this pool." 
I love that he he was the kind of character you could just throw into the background anywhere, and like it's almost just waiting to, waiting to spot him. He's they, the movie kind of just used him as okay. The background is kind of normal right now. Let's throw Richardson back there doing something weird. Yeah, he knows every kind of dance move as long as it involves pelvic thrusting. <laughs> yes. And that scene uh, when he's going around throwing the flyers is great because it's like he's flash here, flash there, flash there, flash there. It's all the cutting is thrusting. Really but what I loved about the like the pool scene is you, you see the way these different people are kind of reacting to to Rod potentially drowning and and Bill Hader's character. I feel like he's the most genuine or like polite of them all, but. Other other than his sister, uh, I love when she comes out with the uh, comes out of the house and she asks if like mom wants to know if you want Kool Aid. Don't even have to ask; just bring it, okay? Like, <laughs> it's it's so stupid and it's so uh, I don't know the way he plays it is so straight faced where he looks upset and like almost puzzled. Like, why would you even ask? Just bring it. Of course, we want Kool Aid. Jeez, Maggie, <laughs> little girl, I want purple. Thinking about you know all my my favorite scenes outside of the exchange and they all evolve you know drowning Rod hitting Rod with the van lighting Rod on fire blowing Rod up you know basically <laughs> every moment where they're inflicting some kind of massive pain or damage on Sandberg's and everyone's character. just reacting to it like it's oh this is what we got to do yeah was, uh, the, the slapstick was was quite funny and, and very elaborate and well staged I thought. I I love to me it it's kind of become an iconic scene is the the flash dance parody when <laughs> he's he's punch dancing in the forest and there's this <laughs> yes. this random tree that happens to have these these what is what is that called um that gymnastic equipment I feel like an idiot forgetting what it's what it's actually called oh, the but ba- it, it, balance bars or is that, doesn't he do that yeah, with like with the handles that are just <laughs> built into this random fallen over tree, and they're like, when when they throw him off the cliff, it's not like okay, we'll we'll have five seconds of laugh. It's like here's a solid like near a minute long of just this dummy that we've thrown <laughs> off, and then the next movie kind of carries on as if that scene never happened or as if it's like such an insignificant toll on his body. He's just up and walking two seconds later. So you gave him this great revelation. Yeah, I never thought the uh, the the falling the cliff scene in Lone Survivor would ever be beat, but uh, this one did it. This one reigns supreme. Um, but yeah, that I do think, you know, other than the cast, my favorite thing about this movie is is what we were kind of talking about earlier, whereas. Any idea is is welcome here. And the translation, I'm sure reading the script would have been insanity. So like, you have a scene here that has a character falling from a cliff for a solid minute and you never address it. And they're just like, no, we don't. Of course not. Like, why would we? And all of the absurdity that I'm sure is on the script is translated onto the film with utter confidence in what it is. Um, and... I love. I don't know if you call it like fourth wall breaking, but you know the even when they're they're using like actual graphics on the screen as he's as he's about to do the jump, 
and all of this, all of the spirit animals, the the spirit animals of the animal kingdom, house cat, eagle, on those dolphins, <laughs> just the most random assortment of animals, and it's it's so random and it's so unnecessary to what's going on, but they're like it's funny, so we're gonna include it. And honestly, like if if this movie were reduced to only the necessary scenes, it'd probably be like half an hour. But it's the narrative kind of exists to facilitate all of these absurd different comedic sketches and uh i think as a start to finish scene one of my favorite isolated scenes is the scene in which they're all walking towards the jump and the song starts playing and like it's kind of like the stereotypical musical thing where everybody walking down starts joining in and this one guy throws a trash can through the window, and it just turns into an all riot. Yeah, that that scene was epic. I I, I did like that. Just the the how he just randomly turns into the the, the, the chorus, standing there with like they're, they're saluting the flag, singing. <laughs> it all ends. You know, the granny gets knocked out of her wheelchair. I think it was either in that one or a different scene where it's like real, like prepping towards the jump. You see, like, when Rod's, like, doing his stretches by the water and this old man is just squirting sunscreen on him. <laughs> like, yeah. how does this fit? Yeah, that's the, I think that's at the very beginning, like, once the song first starts playing. And they're just going with it, and Rod's just kind of there. He's weirded out by it, but the movie just keeps letting it happen, and it's so weird, but it's I think it's hilarious. Uh, um, a quick touchback. Sorry, when we were talking about the writer earlier, um, Pam Brady did it. But apparently, Jorma, Kiva, and um, Andy didn't like it as much, so they rewrote the script to fit their style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read it was like originally written for um, Will Ferrell. Yeah, he was uh, one of the producers. They yeah, they got a hold of it and made it their own or something. But they weren't like technically credited, but it, it seems they did a lot uh, a lot of work on it. I was about to say, there's no way that. You know, they couldn't have because every scene in this movie kind of has their digital short from SNL stamp on it. Their their Lonely Island. Basically an hour and a half long digital short. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but, it's, the, the whole the film does feel, you know, very much like a collection of skits that kind of they thought up late one night drunk or something. Wouldn't surprise me at all if the, that's how this movie kind of came about. No. But what I loved about that that scene is their attention to detail in everything going on in the background is hilarious. Like you you see there's this random like people playing bagpipes in the background and then like the, the camera's not focusing on this this old lady getting kicked out of her wheelchair, but it's just kind of happening there and so it's like they think what is what are all the different things you could have happen? And sometimes they focus on it, and other times they're like, "I oh, just put it back there." People will watch this a lot, and they'll they'll notice it. And cars are being tipped over. And it's funny that, for whatever reason, that's kind of the only thing that ever catches the group off guard. Like they find that odd, even though this <laughs> entire world exists in a where something like that should never be not expected. But they they're just what what happened? It was so nice, and it turned into chaos. And something else that I find hilarious about the aftermath about that is that Rico is not holding the TV at the beginning of that scene. <laughs> He's just kind of standing there, leaning over, panting. And the camera cuts away from him, and it cuts back. And 
He just has this massive TV he's holding. He's running with. Yeah, they're all yes. a bunch of animals, and I can't believe that. It's really sad that people would use such a, a beautiful moment just to add personal gain, you know, to get something out of it. It's sad. Yeah, so I I guess there was really no way that I wasn't going to end up loving this movie just because of the cast that was involved. And I I was actually a, a big fan. Well, obviously not during the 70s, but like I've always really enjoyed watching SNL, um, especially during the, the 90s. And it seemed like they'd gotten to a point to where they just lost all of their talent. Um, and it was almost anybody could kind of come up and they weren't producing these stars anymore. And it was a an attempt to recreate, I think, what had come before. And it was, they weren't their own style anymore. And then when Andy Samberg and The Lonely Island came on, they had their own style of humor, which before SNL had kind of always paved the way for whatever the new type of humor was or whatever was popular. And it felt like that started to become the case again with Andy Samberg. Um, so to see them, it, it, I, I am kind of surprised that the movie didn't take off initially given the popularity of of their digital shorts at the time. Uh, I didn't realize how much of a box office dud it ended up being. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to mention was, um, that's one thing that struck me to the movie was in high school on... Um, like that Monday after SNL, me and the guys on our soccer team would just be quoting digital shorts and stuff like that um, during practices and like throughout the day. And so I'd watch them and I started got the interest in the movie. And I, I feel like when he came on at 05, it's really kind of kicked back off. Yeah, I, it seems pretty popular again now. And I think that it's kind of because people started taking SNL seriously again. So there, there's actually a, a couple more cast members that I I want to talk about. Just because to make sure, I mean, obviously there's there's not a whole lot about this movie, like I've said before, where we can talk about it in depth. So most of it is just about talking about the characters. I I do think if I do have to say something that I don't think is bad, but doesn't really work quite as well as the rest of the movie, is uh, Isla Fisher. And I don't think she's bad in the role. I just think that the role was essentially written to fill a space that they perceived needed to be filled. Like we need, we, we kind of needed a romance and we needed someone who's being introduced to these characters for the first time. And we, we as the audience are kind of reacting to the absurdity of it all as she reacts to it. But it's weird. I just don't know if that kind of character works as well whenever, I guess she's supposed to be the person we identify with the most. She's coming into this, already established group and seeing how ridiculous and over the top it all is so the fact that she would kind of buy into the group as it like as a person like there's there's really no romantic interest in reality between rod and uh isla fisher and so it just feels weird that um that the movie's kind of building towards this like this character that was only kind of fulfilling a role that wasn't even necessary, in my opinion, in the first place, has kind of attached herself onto the climax of the movie. I don't know. I guess it's just I, I don't find her quite as funny, and I don't I don't think that the the dynamic she brings 
is half as interesting or funny as the other characters. No, it's very much filler space. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I like Isla Fisher. She has a, a nice kind of spunky quality that she brings. And I do like her uh, sensei moment on the <laughs> on the shore of the lake. The crackers pants move. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I, uh, oh my gosh, he's kissing his sister. Wait, yeah. Denise isn't his sister. <laughs> I was about to say, that line is absolutely why I'm glad she's still in it. Because yeah. come to think of it, that might actually be the, the one I most quote, which makes no sense because there's no context in which quoting that makes <laughs> a whole lot of sense. But just... The utter shock in him, like, wait, why is Rod kissing his sister? It's not his sister. My whole universe has been shattered. It's little lines like that that are so unnecessary. And at this point, that's pretty much all that I have left to talk about. Other than, no, I guess I do want to bring up Will Arnett. Um, Chris Parnell. (laughs) Chris Parnell, he's... (laughs) pretty much just being like the the kind of character chris parnell always is exactly and that one funny. scene is really all you needed of him the entire movie but he has a great radio voice though <laughs> it does it makes sense i completely buy that in this world he's the radio dj for this dying station just make sure it's am not fm and you gotta have the tattoo for it um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what I love about Will Arnett's character in this is that they are they're pretty much playing every single like boyfriend stereotype with him. Like they are telegraphing in his first scene. This is the bad guy. This is the boyfriend that she's not going to be with. And the every scene involving him afterwards is just kind of reminding you this this guy is a jerk. She's not going to end up being with this guy. And so it's like macho they, guy. Yeah, they've just given Will Arnett free reign to just be a complete jerk in every sense of the word. And uh, I, I already loved him because of Arrested Development. Um, so just to see him play, who is essentially Job, just maybe a little bit even more mean. Uh, all of the, all of the weird little interactions he has with the people other than like the main cast are really funny and i i love the scene once again another scene that i quote often whenever isla fisher leaves him it's just like 20 seconds of him screaming babe no no babe babe just a, a parody of that kind of of her finally making the right decision and he's calling out to no avail but Let's play it out for like 20 seconds too long. <laughs> but right before that is basically the epitome of this character. Whenever she realizes she's like, oh, babe, that's Rod and his crew on the t- radio. He's like, oh, my God, who cares? <laughs> that is is his character in two lines right there. And it's I, I love how honest they are about it. Like what what is the what would like the cliche, the cliche jerk boyfriend response to this be? OK, let's take that and then let's exaggerate it because that's. That's absolutely the point of his existence. But since we've kind of like talked about all of the main cast, there are a couple of instances that don't like involve the cast per se, but there are touches that you can tell came from Sandberg and um, Akiva, who is actually in the movie. I think he's the, he's the guy who gives him the LSD. So he, he gets his little cameo. Uh, 
but I, I love the random background elements in this. And um, I remember the very first time I had seen this, I was watching with my sister. And there's a moment where we actually had to pause just because we were laughing so hard was it transitions from one scene to the next and it's just the news, a news broadcaster. And all we hear is the tail end of a story and it's just the dog walked itself home, ate a pizza and took a nap in other news. <laughs> and it was just so random. And that's, that's what makes me love this movie is any, any random joke that makes no sense, even in context, is just going to end up finding its way in the movie. So it's just such a treasure trove of jokes that honestly, I, it's not Arrested Development level where I'm always finding something new to laugh at on, on every rewatch. But they do, they, they stuff every scene with so many weird lines and weird asides and stuff in the background that I always end up, even if it's like, even if I have already pretty much noticed everything there is to notice about the scene, there's so much going on. And as stupid as it seems on a surface level, like there, all of the scenes are so well thought out about like what kind of joke they want here and what they want happening in the background. And what this character that they've created would say and how they would all react. So, yeah. Yeah, one thing, I I guess this would, like, fall into the category, I don't know, like, a surrealist comedy or something. It felt very much in the vein of, like, Napoleon Dynamite or Nacho Libre. And in a weird way, like, what Wes Anderson does. It's, like, these films that exist completely in their own reality with people just doing the most absurd things with a completely straight face. And th- that kind of comedy is very hard for me. Even with like a master filmmaker like Wes Anderson, I find it difficult to like care much uh, because ultimately if every single element is a joke, nothing is sacred. So why should I care? Why should I? And so ultimately it kind of just comes down to the quality of the jokes. Was that joke funny? And for me, a lot of the jokes didn't work. So ultimately, there's like, like that one was hilarious. That was hilarious. Okay, there's nothing happening. All right. All right. Oh, it's a funny moment. Yeah, bam, we're back again. Just It just kind of goes and ends and leaves really no impact on me other than a few isolated great scenes. Um, that was fa- uh, Furious 7 for me. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, but uh, so I guess th- this entire style of filmmaking is a difficult sell for me, and I don't know. For me, like I I can watch Nacho Libre, I mo- like just I think Jack Black, he is such a brilliantly charismatic performer that he makes that work, and maybe it's because I I thought Andy Samberg wasn't funny in the least. That uh, since he was on screen the most, that it just didn't work for me. I don't know. Y'all can you go go back my to praise and I'll I'll sit, I'll sit in my corner. Yeah, I mean, like okay. I like I said earlier, I grew up watching okay. SNL and loving him on there. So I went in knowing to expect his style of humor, and so I was fully prepared to laugh. <laughs> I mean, I, I laughed plenty. It's, it's I guess it's the whole the whole style is. It doesn't feel like a film, but rather, you know, a collection of skits. So Yeah. Like there's some, that one some scene. Some skits are funny, some aren't. 
like he, when he says, all right, let's celebrate. And they go into a room and start just doing like, um, boa rap popping for like a minute. <laughs> <straight>. <laughs> like, okay. Cool beans. Cool, cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. And after a two minute straight, it's like, okay, so we're cool beans. <laughs> yeah. We're cool beans. Oh, also, one last thing. The bell scene, when they're trying to imitate, they're like, okay, we'll ring the bell. Ding. <laughs> ding. Ah. Everyone's the, the, doing their own impression of it. I, I think that scene kind of encapsulates why I love this movie. Because they just allow that to go on and then go on. And then go on because they're like, no, it's still funny. Ten seconds later, and these guys, these adult men standing in this yard mimicking this bell for a minute straight is funny. And that's just kind of the the mindset that they have with this whole movie. Like, yeah, let's just do this, of course. The pool jump. <laughs> and you, it was like one of the things, like, with that first pool jump, you know, how is that pedal bike going to jump a pool <laughs> And as soon as it goes up, it just drops immediately. And what I like about that is this is absolutely the kind of movie where, you know, he could have ended up picking up speed to the point to where he, like, sailed across the pool and blasted through the wall. Or he's going to get, like, two feet of airtime or two seconds of airtime and splash. Like, it's... Physics just constantly get turned on and off in this movie. And so you never know how any of this stuff is going to end up playing out. All right. So is there anything else you, you want to mention before we move into final thoughts? Nah, I, I, I think people realize how much I love this movie now. Same. Yeah, well, I actually sort of had my final thoughts like a little while back. Just I don't generally like most comedies I see. So what do I know? Uh, I just I didn't find this particularly funny outside of the scenes I have mentioned. So, yeah, if you like comedy, definitely go watch it. I, I, it's probably worth watching just for Ian McShane uh, and him beating up on poor Sandberg. But <laughs> I don't know. I'll go ahead. <laughs> well, I feel like this entire episode is essentially me giving my final thoughts <laughs> uh, just because it's just a movie I love. I love the absurdity. I love the willingness to do literally anything and everything. I love how, to me, the entire cast, even... I, I, I don't even dislike Isla Fisher as a character. I just, if I had to say there was somebody who I didn't quite find as funny as someone else, it would be her. But even with her, like, everyone is so full, fully invested in their character. And so it's it's just a series of people who are completely in character in this absolutely absurd world where anything is possible and they're going to play out. If, if you think a joke is funny, you're in luck because they're going to play it out for like two minutes. And, and it all, and for me, it always ends up working. There's always something going on in the background, whether it's, whether it's Rico, Dave and um, Kevin dancing in the background. and Rico just keeps shoving, shoving Kevin up against this wall for no reason with no attention drawn to it whatsoever, but it's just happening because wouldn't it be funny if Kevin was getting shoved up against the wall in the background? So if, if you're interested in seeing a movie that is more or less a collection of sketches loosely held together by a narrative and you enjoy SNL, then this movie is a gold mine. 
And if you didn't think that five minute sketch was funny, I guess you're screwed. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And I guess you could say this is one of those it's better to see it with someone who's already seen it. Because I have several friends who like hated it, but then like had this newfound appreciation after they watched it with me, who quoted half the movie while watching it. <laughs> and I could definitely um, confirm that. There, there, this is a movie that I introduced to a lot of people. And there, there is something to be said about the fact that it's easier to enjoy a movie when you're watching it with someone who does enjoy it. Um, and so all that to say, if you watch it with me, there's going to be essentially constant, a consistent sound of laughter from start to finish. And, uh, and I do think because of how packed the background is, if you didn't love it the first time, it may not be a movie for you, but I do think rewatches are worth it just because of how, how much is always going on in the background. And the fact that some jokes kind of are referenced again and you, you pick up on it uh, watching it again. So yeah. I, I would always recommend this movie. All right, so I'll, next time I'll imagine James laughing hysterically on the couch next to me. <laughs> Just do it. I'll, I'll Skype in. <laughs> you, uh, do you have any final thoughts, Tony? Um, that I would have to agree with James on everything because like, these are pretty much my final thoughts throughout the whole thing as well because it's just one of those movies I could just talk endlessly about. But I will agree about um, Isla Fisher is one of those moments where it's like hit and miss but probably the best scene with her was at the trash can when he was like, I think you look pretty. What? I said you look shitty. <laughs> but like, what? This is so random, but it fits with her like just randomly being there. But overall, it's it's one of those great movies that if you enjoy sketch comedy, you'll love just as much. Now we got to have our first bleep. Thanks, Tony. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm <laughs> quoting the movie. <laughs> It's all right. All right. So um, I guess that was our review for Hot Rod. I, I hope you enjoyed it more than I did the film. And I apologize for being such a wet blanket. Um, so for next week is my pick. So I'm thinking uh, I want to talk about secondhand lions. Uh, have you seen this one, James? Oh, I'm glad that you picked this. I, I do love this movie. Nice. So again, I'd like to ask you guys to please go and rate and review us on iTunes. And if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. And if you want to find our other reviews, you can go to underratedpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are underrated underscore pod. And uh, thanks for coming on, Tony. This was fun. Yeah, it's been fun. Enjoyed it, guys. And so uh, I don't know if, if there's anywhere people can follow you online that you'd be you want to share. Um, my Twitter and Letterboxd are the same. Um, it's at the Tony Fagan. And I hope you spell it right. It's like my last name or the whole thing. Oh, well, your last name. I think you have to Tony. F E A G I N. I do want to mention, so we met, uh, Tony through feel and film. So this is two episodes back to back where I would, I would plug that Facebook, dis- uh, discussion group. If you, uh, if you really enjoy movies and like talking about it, I would definitely recommend that as a group. I agree. And in a comparison to some other groups I've been in, it's more mild and tamed and not as harsh as some groups have been. Yeah, I would throw that. It's, it is currently probably my favorite you know, film discussion forum. I'm in a couple. So 
Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did enjoy the movie. <laughs> uh, so until next week, we will see you later. See ya. example of what I've been talking about. Since this boy was suckling on his mama's tit, he's been given everything but discipline. And now his idea of courage and manhood is to get together with a bunch of punk friends and ride around irritating folks too good natured to put a stop to it. <laughs> hey, who do you think you are, huh? Just dumb kid, huh? Don't kill him. Hug McCann. I fought in two world wars and countless smaller ones on three continents. I led thousands of men into battle with everything from horses and swords to artillery and tanks. I've seen the headwaters of the Nile and tribes of natives no white man had ever seen before. I've won and lost a dozen fortunes, killed many men, and loved only one woman with a passion a flea like you could never begin to understand. That's who I am. Now go home, boy.